Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olsen, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. Today we are listening to a panel from the Swedish pavilion at Expo 2020 Dubai that was part of our activities during Space Week earlier this fall. Together with PeaceBark's foundation and Umbilical Design, founders of the Space for Wildlife initiative, we talk about how space can act as an accelerant for good on Earth, specifically in fighting poaching. The panel consisted of Cecilia Hatch, founder of Umbilical Design, Herman Stander, PeaceBark's foundation South Africa, Tina Sjögren, CEO of Python Space, and Professor Jan Stahl von Holstein from Tonji University. In this panel we talk about how space technologies is helping to fight poaching in southern Africa, why we need to stifle the demand for animal parts, and how innovations in education can help with the cause. This conversation is part of Changemakers, a series of podcasts, panel talks and live interviews produced in collaboration with the Swedish participation at Expo 2020 Dubai. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and events. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, the Space for Wildlife panel from Expo 2020 Dubai. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome. I I would like to consider this like a closing conversation and perhaps also a conversation starter for all of us to continue uh, throughout this evening and in the months and years uh, to come. Um, we're here to discuss space and its relation to wildlife. And I, I, I wanted to bring it back to you again, uh, Cecilia, uh, as one of the founders of this initiative. Uh, you said in your speech earlier that the elephants came into your life. I'm, I'm a little bit curious about your personal attachment to this topic. How did this all start for you and why are you so passionate for it? Uh, it was actually when, when meeting Peace Parks and I started to learn and understand how bad it actually is. So then I can't really sit there and do nothing. So that's why I thought this is an area where the space sector needs to take action. So that's a little bit what I have been doing. As, as I mentioned, I've been in so many different areas over the 15 years I've been working in this uh, space technology transfer. And now I really wanted to try to identify what areas should I put my time up on and, and where can space sector contribute the most? So that's um, that's what we are doing now to see where where should we activate and accelerate the use of space technologies and really take action on on space for agenda twenty thirty. Can you give us some examples of the types of technologies that you're looking for, uh, looking at developing? Actually. We always start with the challenges. Many people think you should start with the technologies. And 
I say it's not the technologies that actually are interesting. We know they are there, but they are hidden for most people as they are in the space sector's kind of material data banks. So what, what we see is that we need to lift them up and, and, and see so they really meet the real challenges. So we need to be more creative uh, as, as people. So I say we have the technologies. I have also people in my network that say, Cecilia, tell, uh, tell me what material or technology you need and we, we make it for you. So it's, it's uh, the human mind and we need to be creative and identify the real challenges. That's what we need to do. Wonderful. You mentioned Agenda 2030, and I know there are several points. You, you, you kind of flip through them really quickly. I thought we could go into some of them, because this is not only about the animals. It's, it's got a bigger mission than, than that, right? Yes, and that's also what I, uh, I think is so fascina fascinating with the Peace Park Foundation's work, because going in and work with Space for Wildlife, it was so fantastic when I realized that it, it's not only to save the animal, it's, it's actually everything goes together and it's a very, very complex uh, scenery and, and I, I really love complex things because as my father also say, why do the easy things? <laughs> so it's, I, really, I really love to find those really strong challenges and I think also the space sector, that's why I really liked when I, I came in to work with them because they really work with things that seems impossible but they have this fantastic everything is possible mentality and that's what I really try to feed into people, project where we work together. If you have that mentality then we can actually reach the agenda 2030. So it's, it's not only by the technologies, rather with a creative, uh, creative mindset that we, we will solve these things. And then we can address not only the biodiversity, but it will also help uh, from poverty and, and other... I mean, you, you work in Peace Park Foundation so much with education and, and work with uh, also uh, in Asia. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's so much being done. So I think that the least thing I can do is to make sure that the space sector engages and activates now. Wonderful. Herman, I'm going to bring it back to you. I'm so happy to have you here with us. I know you caught the red eye from, from South Africa and you, that you never sleep on planes, so I'm uh, <laughs> so happy to have you here. Uh, I mean, you are really like the man on the ground here. Uh, and we spoke earlier and, earlier and you were talking to me about being kind of like the bridge between technology and what's going on on the ground, so to speak. Yeah. Can you give like a sense of, of what your day looks like? What's the type of work that you do? Yeah, um, maybe just as a quick background. So I used to be a software engineer and my passion in life was always nature conservation. So later in life, I, I, I started to become a, a conservator and I did my my degree in nature conservation and I started I started working in the field um, so something that I that I find annoying is that you know you always have people that is pro technology or big in technology and then you have the guys on the ground and these guys don't have a good communication they don't t understand each other that well these guys think they have the, pro the answer to their problems and they think oh, that's not what I, that's not what I said um, so a lot of the times you end up with technologies that's not really used 
And we've seen it so many times, even within Peace Box, where the guys on the ground said, but that's, we're not going to use this, or they, don't, they just don't use it. So there's a big divide between us. So for me, it's, it is bridging that gap, because I could speak both languages. So I do a lot of um, software development still, um, for problems, and I, and I just want to say that, it's, like, like what Cecilia was saying, because we understand the problems first, then we come and say, okay, what can we use to solve that? Otherwise, it becomes technology. This is, you know, we have all these solutions, but we need to understand what is the problems on the ground, really. And for me, that's important to stay in touch with that, because it's easy to lose touch with reality. Um, and yes, so I do a lot of development still, but I still have touch with that. I go to the parks, I speak to the people, I want to understand the problems, and we we work quite closely with them. Um, yeah, so I I would agree with that fully, also. Mm. And in your speech, you mentioned some of the technologies that you are using today. But I'm curious, uh, given that we have this project now, what's on your wish list? What would you like to see implemented in terms of technology to, yeah. to advance your work? I would love to have Elon Musk and ask him, can I please have some of those low orbiting satellites? Right. <laughs> yes. So that, that is, like I said, that would be a game changer for us. So connectivity. It, yes, yeah. because it makes these dark African countries literally dark, as in there is no lights or... Uh, cell phone reception even, it just suddenly makes the the whole internet possible and AI is possible, you know, mm. and we're dependent on that because all these systems we build is built in the cloud and, you know, it's actually so far removed from the ground, but so we need that layer and that would be the first one. And satellite imagery, again, it's so helpful, just that bird's eye view and the, I mean, the like the, the ratio that that was said earlier, you know, 20 centimeters, even smaller resolution. You could really look at, at stuff at a fine detail. Um, it's so useful. We, we even use it, you know, these, these places are large, so we can, we, NASA has these, this problem called firm, firm ice. Anyway, so we use that to detect fires. So when there's a fire, it, it tells you, hey, there's a fire. You know, it's, it sounds stupid, but it's big areas. Um, so I would say the, the connectivity would be number one. I love the idea of, of, of sort of connecting technology and conservation. It's all about collaboration, really. And, yeah. and uh, um, we're going to get to the, the, the need for communication in a second w with John. But I want to stay, stay in the wild, <laughs> in a sense. Uh, Tina, you are now an entrepreneur in, in space technologies. Uh, but your background is quite a lot in adventures here on earth yeah I'm curious you from your perspective <laughs> i mean you you are now building uh, rockets that will send us into space and possibly go to mars we're gonna get to your satellite <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i'm curious from your all your adventures and perhaps you can give a little bit of a sense of, of your background but from all your adventures you know ha have you you know seen challenges uh, and also have you seen the need for uh, technology when when uh, observing them <coughs> yes well actually uh, i think our first ex um, so tom and i we come on the rest we skied from uh, canada to uh, uh, the north pole we skied from the edge of antarctica uh, to, to the South Pole, and of course n not a lot of wildlife there, really. <laughs> but we also did things such as uh, uh, crossing uh, Borneo uh, some 30 years ago. And you know, guys, when we were there, I mean, it was wonderful. It was the rainforest, it was the jungle, it was an amazing experience. It was just, uh, you know, trees everywhere, forests, the, the, um, uh, the streams and all of that. 
And just two years ago, I spoke to a friend, and he's having some kind of uh, adventure agency. I said to him, well, what's the situation in Borneo? And he said, are you kidding me? The forest is gone. There's nothing there. There's just a, there's such a stretch of the river, and then they kept some uh, trees on the sides, and that's it. And to me, that really kind of breaks my heart, to be honest. Mm. And so I think that, and I see that everywhere, to be honest. I mean, I was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean with Tom here, my husband, in an in a, in a old boat. It was wonderful. I mean, we were sitting there. We hadn't seen a soul for a month. And all of a sudden, the ocean around us starts boiling, right? And we're like, what's going on? 1,000 dolphins, at least, I swear to God, just started frolicking around our boat and sort of jumping. <laughs> and I brought up a loudspeaker from below and I started to play surf music <laughs> for these guys. <laughs> and they were around there for um, an hour and then they just vanished like that. And fast forward 10 years and I'm in Baja, uh, Baja California and Mexico and I see the beaches riddled with dead dolphins. And it's just, you know, we need to do something yes. here about that. <laughs> mm. And so the interesting part is that uh, Tom and I also, we build technology for other explorers and NGOs and actually NASA got some of our stuff. And the reason was that uh, when we started exploring, this was 30 years ago, um, there, was no, there were no smartphones, so we had to rely on satellites, actually. There was, of course, no internet. And so we built technology that you could bring with you in small boxes. And with that, with the help of that, you could communicate from anywhere you were. So we actually learned also the difficulties with humans trying to use this kind of technology in the wild. Yeah. And what we are doing right now is that we're actually building rockets, small rockets. Uh, Tom and I, we are part of what is called the new space. And uh, so our goal now is to make a space very cheap and very accessible for swaths of small satellites that we can send up there in low Earth orbit, just like you were talking about, because it gives us better resolution. And that way we'll be able to actually help many of these problems that I saw with my own eyes. Yeah. And I think we are soon, it's early, we're not there yet, but I think it's going faster than we think. No. You mentioned deforestation. I know, Herman, that's a big uh, problem for you as well, uh, when yeah. with regards to the animals. And, and yeah. it's a problem that could be uh, kind of monitored with, with space technologies, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, elephants need large spaces to move in. And once you start removing um, the, the habitat, it becomes a problem because they start breaking out, they eat people's crops and they start hating them and they start killing them. So we need to manage that because we put them there. Um, you know, so using satellite imagery, like I said, you could you could see that you could yeah. you could see a forest being deforested within a day because they take a picture, as I understand from what I've seen, yeah. on a daily basis because they orbit so quick. Um, so that that is like, again, it's a simple thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so helpful, and I think this is where the creativity comes in. We can use these things so much better than just for what they were made in or intended to, and that's that's exciting. I mm -hmm. think the creative part is also great. Well, speaking of creativity, Jan, I'm going to bring in. Thanks for being so patient. We're going to talk a little bit about the need for communication. Uh, and I know you're doing some excellent work in that. But I just, you know, going into that, I think we should address what's really the heart of the problem here, which is the demand uh, of, of the horns, right? And I know this is something you've worked a lot with. Uh, can you give us an intro there? Simply speaking, if there was no demand, there wouldn't be any poaching. Of course, 
as uh, Herman said, there's also uh, killing takes place because people are poor and they need to eat. Mm -hmm. But the real issue here that we're talking about is demand. Mm -hmm. Where is the demand? Well, the demand for rhino horns above all and also for uh, ivory and in recent years pangolin and claws of tigers has been in Asia, primarily in China. So uh, I asked myself uh, some years ago, because I've been teaching communications in China for 15 years, um, how can we get people to understand that this is wrong? And I met with the president of PPF some years ago and said, you know, I think I can do something about this uh, with my designers. And he said, uh, uh, you're crazy. Uh, that's you against 1.3 billion people in China. Uh, but I said to him, what we do when we work in design innovation, we uh, are quite good these days of thinking differently and taking um, Cecilia's lead, why not? We do a lot of why not when we work with designers. So in China, there is a very, very advanced uh, multidisciplinary approach now to solving uh, complex problems. You wouldn't think in the first place that designers could actually deal with such a complex issue. But it's turned out that uh, we have been able to do this in a very, very effective way. So the students produce ideas to fill two basic needs. Communication of understanding the issue and why it is wrong. Secondly, to create a long-term engagement with people at all levels of society. So that has been the goal and that's the basic briefing to the designers. And then they start working. And I can uh, now say that six years later, the result of this work has meant that all sales of uh, illegal horns, because it's been illegal in China for a long time, all sales of illegal horns in all retail outlets has now stopped. And this is a phenomenal result. Uh, and I could uh, give you a number of little ideas that were produced by the uh, students, but I don't think we have time for this now. But my main message is we have to close the gap and we have to stop the trade. And how do we stop that? We have to inform people and become, uh, convince them to become engaged. And it is possible. It's like every other thing in life individuals matter and if we can convince uh, people that this is wrong that's the way to do it so today downstairs we had we've had several rounds of children maybe 50 by the end and they've been doing little drawings and we've been talking about rhinos so you have to start by teaching people at the very early age already as you do also in Africa that uh, uh, this is uh, not right and we have to do something about it.
Well, speak well. First of all, thank you for all your hard work. Uh, speaking about engagement, you've been in, in a supporter of Peace Parks Foundation since the nineties. If I'm, correct. I have. Yes, I was a founding member uh, because I've always been uh, very, very uh, involved in conservation uh, since my uh, early days when I was very young. Yeah, and your background is not, you're in academia now, but your background is, is actually in the private sector, right? Well, yes, I, I was a designer, so I worked with uh, some of the great um, groups in the world. So I uh, changed the panda, which is the most uh, powerful symbol in China, of course, uh, from being like a doll to a real-life panda. So that's now the symbol for WWF. And we also then change the strategy of uh, talking about nature. So if we can't protect nature, then animals have no place to live. And that's also what you say. And I also did a similar exercise for BirdLife Association uh, to create uh, a different platform for them to protect nature and then birds can uh, survive. So in my professional life, I work with big organizations who depend on powerful symbols. And when I started with my Chinese students, uh, uh, if we're talking about two powerful icons, you know, the panda is the most powerful icon in China without comparison. And then we look at the, at the uh, rhino, which is probably one of the most powerful icons in Southern Hemisphere in Africa. So I said, would you students uh, think about taking the nose of a panda and grinding it up, and it would solve some problems. And of course, they were appalled, all of them. So it takes very few uh, demonstrations to show how wrong it is. So I said, well, if you would do it to panda, why on earth would you do it to rhino and the other animals mm. uh, in life? So I think you have to use some metaphors like that to uh, engage young people. But the focus is young people and to get them involved long term. And this can be done by games, it can be done by uh, all kinds of activities. So in China there are 21 social networks and each one have uh, approximately 800 million users several times a day. So if you can create an idea that will go instantly on one of the social networks, you reach millions of people. So several of our projects have achieved this with games and other shows on social networks. Uh, because it's difficult to advertise for this. Uh, WWF have done this for many years. Advertising is effective. But if you're going to advertise in China, you need to have uh, millions and millions of dollars. So if you can penetrate through social networks, mm. you're doing a very fast communication job. So that's what we've been concentrating on uh, there. And uh, it will continue because the result now is exhibitions all around uh, China of the work that we're doing and uh, the uh, illegal trade uh, should come to an end. Hopefully. 
Thank you for that. And I, I think this is really underscores uh, the need for communication. Herman, we spoke earlier uh, before and you said something about Jan's work that really uh, struck a chord with me. The need for communication, how do you see that in the, with, with regards to this issue? We all, we all enjoy running around in the field and, you know, looking at the animals and doing these, these, these kind of things that you get instant gratification from. But if you do not educate young people and future generations, we can forget about ever stopping this problem. Because, to be honest, it, the problem is, like you also mentioned, it, it's been pulled from China. It's not been pushed from our side. Someone is pulling it. And if you can break it there, you break this whole chain. Um, it's it's and that's why I think what Jan is doing and referring to that education, um, community conservation, community education is the most important and the most difficult thing to do, um, without a doubt. There's no doubt about it. Mm. Thank you. The difficult thing I think also is it's difficult to measure it sometimes because it, it takes many years to see results, and and I think funders sometimes they can't see the results now. You know, and, and we also need to educate funders maybe that, you know, these things are long term. Otherwise, they're not successful. Yeah. For sure. I just want to mention we are going to we're going to have a little opportunity to uh, take in some questions from the audience in just a moment. So if you have a question, you can uh, just start preparing it in your mind. And we have a microphone here we can uh, hand out. Uh, Tina, when you listen to, to this, uh, what what comes up in your mind? Are any reflections when you hear about this? Uh, well, I agree that Jan's got the hardest job, really. You know, just change people's minds. Mm, that's going to be. A tough one <laughs> but it can be done right yes. it can be done <laughs> and then uh, other than that i think you know the less uh, throw technology on it i think satellites with you know as much real time as possible night vision you know that we can go through in the night and through cloud cover uh, throw some deep learning on that and i think we we got them yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> We, we, you mentioned uh, uh, fundraising or raising funds for this. Uh, um, Cecilia, maybe you can talk about some of the next steps of this project. Uh, what are you looking at? What do you need? Uh, what's the need there? I mean, we have now, uh, Helena and I mainly <laughs> work a lot uh, over the especially the last year, to really inform different companies in Sweden that we foresee that we could uh, engage and involve as partners in uh, Space for Wildlife. So we see that we will of course need both work from these companies and also money to achieve this to happen. Mm. And we will, of course, start with, as I, I mentioned already, the challenges to really go more in depth to see what is needed so we will not we will not contribute to develop something that is not needed yeah. because that's uh, something actually my 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 old <laughs> design professor said more than 20 years ago that design is form function colors but it also it's also to refrain and i think that's even yeah. more beautiful now i mean 25 years back that it's is uh, so important. So I, I used to remind people that work with innovation and product development that let's really make sure we work with essential development because many people just develop uh, products because it's a technology existing without looking into the actual we need to, to be problem solvers and addressing the right questions. 
Do we have any questions from the audience? Anyone who? Uh, yes, please. Hello, uh, this is Dalal. I'm a teacher. So I got impressed by what Mr. He said with his uh, student, Chinese student. So for me, really, we should start from the early age. So for me as a teacher, I will save everything. Then I will teach my children how what's the sustainability and how we ha we can save space and earth at the same time. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, Jan, again, a case for for. Uh, talking about this in early uh, uh, stages. And uh, just to perhaps end with, uh, you know, we had a little workshop downstairs here at the yes. Swedish Pavilion in the forest. Yeah. Uh, uh, we were all curious of how this would turn out. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit of what happened downstairs with these uh, 50 or so kids? Uh, yes, well, they were quite young, some of them, two, three, four years old. And uh, they all got papers to draw on and they got very excited very quickly and they just walk around and you ask a few questions and some of them know something about dryness, some of them don't, but they actually draw something and they start thinking about it. And this is the process of getting young, people, uh, young children involved. One of my older students in, in uh, uh, China, after a few years' work, he, he defined our work as wild ideas for wildlife. <laughs> and I thought that was such a great definition because that, to me, um, marries up with uh, the idea of uh, uh, space. I mean, that's a wild idea when you think about it. Space for nature. And uh, my uh, wish uh, is that some of the technology can be married up now with a, with a younger set of people to get the idea of what they are capable of doing and how they can contribute. And uh, of course, it is a complex uh, road, but it is possible. And children uh, can become enthusiastic so quickly about something very simple that is fun. And animals are all lovable, let's face it. And uh, if you don't love an animal, I think you're in bad trouble. <laughs> and I can't think of children who don't love animals. So it's the whole spectrum is there for us to work on. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. So I'm, I'm very excited about this initiative that um, Cecilia is taking because the, the word is innovation here. And it's innovation in thinking, and it's innovation of trying to do something different than what we have done before. That sort of encapsulates innovation on, on a broad platform. So I think uh, it's going to be a really adventurous journey ahead, and uh, I'm very happy to participate in this, and I'm going to uh, spur my students further now with the discussions that have been held here and the new doors that are going to be open for them to work on. Well, it's an adventure ahead. I think those are great uh, parting words. Uh, I'd like to thank to thank you all of you speakers in the panel. Thank you all the previous speakers. Uh, thank you to uh, the uh, Swedish participation at Expo, Jan Teslev and our, the program director, uh, Matthias, for allowing us to do this. Uh, thank you to Christian Nilsson. Thank you to Peace Parks Foundation and Cecilia for uh, having me on and, and guiding you through this uh, afternoon. It's been great.
great. Uh, and thank you to everyone who has listened. Let's keep the conversation going. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olsen. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to scandinavianmind.com to become part of our movement.